I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome back into the Lions 24 7 podcast. It is our latest post game edition. Nine matchups now in the books for the 2022 season. Then the Lions 7 2 after a 45 14 win in Bloomington, Indiana, which is where Daniel Gallon joins us from. At Memorial Stadium, finishing up his post-game coverage for Lions247.com. And Daniel, always good to catch up with you when you're on the road for these games. I'm here at, at headquarters in Happy Valley, and we wanted to see a Penn State team that came back with an attitude, that came back with confidence, that came with a purpose to play for something in November. We wanted to see a Penn State team that showed signs of that youth movement, taking charge, carrying them for the remainder of this season into 2023. Got about as good of a blend of both those uh, goals as you were going to achieve over the course of this matchup. We definitely did today. We saw a lot of different players, uh, some of them in roles we hadn't seen them in before, and we saw a lot of those players playing well. Um, you, you look at what happened on the offensive line, which I'm sure we're going to get to. The defense showed up in a big way um, after being, you know, we, we'd been looking for something from that pass rush. I know Mark Brennan was happy with what he saw. Uh, based on his bold prediction. Um, but Penn State needed to come out and show that they could rebound again. Sean Clifford said that they were pretty pissed off. That's his words uh, about how that game last week went. They approached practice uh, with that kind of attitude. And they came out uh, from Bloomington, a place the last time they were here, things didn't go so well. Uh, they came out of this place that has, you know, had some, has been a tough place to play at times. They came out with a very resounding victory. I remember the trip they made out there in 2018 after they had, uh, had lost a couple tough Big Ten matchups against better opponents in, in the conference. And uh, it, it was a it was one that went down to the wire. Uh, some weird things happened. The wind was gusting. You, I was thinking about it leading up to kickoff. Would it be a similar matchup here? And that game as well, Indiana used multiple quarterbacks. One had more luck than the other. You were kind of keeping an eye on, on could Indiana have some, some things go their way, swing momentum. They haven't had much of that. They had a great drive out of Jack Tuttle, who started this game with his transfer out of the program looming in the postseason. It's just a bizarre set of circumstances, but he was the guy they tabbed 
as QB2 in this matchup to step up to the QB1 role with their starter not available. By the end of this thing, though, Daniel, Tuttle gets a great touchdown drive. He puts together his legs, his arms. It's a 7-7 game. He ends up exiting. We see three different quarterbacks play for Indiana. Uh, collectively, they fall short of 200 total yards due to the Hoosiers against Penn State. Uh, they average about three yards per play. The Nittany Lions set a program record with 16 tackles for loss. They get six sacks. And, oh, by the way, they put together almost 500 total yards of offense with freshmen accounting for six of those touchdowns. So I'm not sure where you want to start, but let's begin here. Penn State answered the bell yet again when they had to pick themselves up off the mat after a very, very difficult loss last week. Bryce Effner offered a little bit of insight uh, into that during his, his post-game availability today. Uh, he said during the week at practice that James Franklin didn't play any music um, for, for the Nittany Lions. Uh, you know, we're there sometimes, and there's, you know, there's lots of music, keeps the energy up, uh, keeps things going. Um, but Effner said it wasn't there this weekend or this week. Uh, James Franklin wanted Penn State to create its own energy. Um, I think that if you saw photos or were watching on TV, you saw that it was not the biggest crowd uh, in Bloomington today. I think the weather kept a lot of people away. Um, a bad Indiana season kept a lot of people away. So it was going to be really on Penn State to, to manufacture that energy. There wasn't going to be the big house to feed off of. There wasn't going to be Jordan Hare Stadium uh, to feed off of. And I think that Penn State was trying to avoid a flat performance. And the first quarter was once again a little touch and go at times, but they really did that. Um, they, they didn't let this one loss snowball into two. Um, there's, as of right now, there's, not, there's no spiral. Um, I think that it's a good thing to see given how the, these past two games have gone uh, or the past two years have gone that Penn State was able to get a win after a loss. And they're at, at seven wins now with three to go. You know, they won seven games all of last year. They won four games all of 2020. So um, I think that they're, they continue to, to put themselves in a good spot. And I think that they've, you know, they're continuing that drive for 10 wins and a New Year's Six Bowl berth. And they looked like a motivated bunch, didn't they? I mean, that was a huge question we had going into this month because of what modern college football is and what it means when you lose two, two games in a season. And when you get eliminated from your conference title contention, you wonder what is going to surface. And what we saw was a team that put together one of its most complete efforts against clearly one of the worst teams on their schedule this year. We can reassess it after 13 matchups of the year, but this Indiana squad coming in just about as advertised uh, going out. I mean, this is a team that at really at a crossroads right now, one in 14, I believe in their last 15 big 10 matchups since that 2020 season where they, they went six and two. So they've got a lot of questions to answer in Bloomington and this matchup is not going to help, but Penn State control the controllables. You know, you can only play who you play. They did not play down. And there was a moment in this matchup where Indiana made it a 7-7 game. Um, they, they got some gutsy play out of that quarterback, Jack, Jack Tuttle, for a moment. And they had the early interception off Sean Clifford. And I thought that a, a, big, a big kind of thing to come out of it was that's all really Indiana had. And you kind of had a sense, would Indiana have multiple uh, counter punches in this game? Or would they really just have one chance to, to try to capture some energy and keep it going. I thought the response in the second second quarter from Sean Clifford in the passing sack, but really collectively the defense, the way they just shut down Indiana, and really the way they got the ground game going, that by the time they got to halftime, 
you realize something colossally bad was going to have to take place for Penn State to be put on upset alert. The, the Penn State defense's response to that interception was really big. Um, sudden change has been a, a topic of conversation, especially after how last week went in the fourth quarter uh, with, with some of the, the breaches that, that the Penn State defense had when the offense gave the ball back to Ohio State. Um, but after that interception, Indiana has first and 10 at the 31. You're thinking they're probably going to get at least three here based on this field position. A couple of plays later, it's fourth and 34 and they're punting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the Penn State defense was really able to be disruptive. Um, I think that the way that Indiana played offense um, really kind of lent itself to what Penn State is good at. Uh, as a defense in terms of trying to stretch things out horizontally um, a lot. I mean, those screen passes on the edge for the second straight week just were not going anywhere. Um, There's really nothing doing for Sean Shivers, uh, the running back, and a couple of those wide receivers. Um, so I think that that benefited Penn State a lot. Um, but that response was really good. And then the response to that touchdown drive where, I mean, Suddenly, you know, they force a three and out on the first drive. Uh, suddenly it's, uh, you know, let me see. Yes, yeah, so eight play, 75 yard drive. Uh, it looked easy. Um, and then from then on out, I mean, you look at the Indiana drive chart, um, you know, there's the touchdown, then the interception. Um, so they force the punt on the fourth and 34. And then there are four straight three and outs uh, before Indiana kneeled things out to end the half. I mean, I talked about it on, on our preview podcast where there is going to be the chance to get off the field quickly and give the offense lots of opportunities. And when Penn state had the opportunity to get Indiana off the field, they really did. I mean, you look at the, the drive chart, you look at that time of possession. I mean, it was, it was pretty brutal at times and the Penn state defense was really able to, to suffocate Indiana and the offense, it, it was complimentary football today. Yeah, the, the, the Indiana Hoosiers drive chart is something. It's seven three and outs in there. you got three interceptions involved. Their longest possession of this game was, was just a bit over three minutes, unfortunately, for them. That came uh, when they were down 45-7 uh, already, uh, that three-minute possession for them. So, uh, yeah, a lot to love about the way this Penn State defense handled this business against clearly an overmatched uh, Indiana squad that doesn't have the right quarterback for them right now. They're still trying to sort through uh, what they're going to do moving forward. I'd imagine Tuttle injured along the way, not available to go. Uh, they bring in a true freshman, yank him pretty fast after an interception. Uh, and then we see more of a dynamic presence, a guy that we were kind of told ahead of this matchup. Keep an eye for Dexter Williams. He gets in the game. He can maybe do some things with his legs. Uh, four of 11, 41 yards. He threw two interceptions. Both of those interceptions led quickly to Penn State touchdowns. We'll talk about who threw those touchdown passes in a little bit. But let's start with QB1 because that was such a topic of conversation leading up to kickoff. Um, it felt like every single one of our podcasts this week, at least a significant segment was dedicated to that topic of conversation because of the way James Franklin left the door open this week. Um, well, here we are. Uh, Sean Clifford, the stat, the stat line isn't all that impressive. 15 of 23, 229 yards, uh, one interception. Um, Drew Aller came in late. We'll talk about what he did. Uh, but Sean Clifford feeds into that early fuel for Indiana. They score the touchdown the very first play on the ensuing Penn State drive with the score at 7-7. Seven to seven. 
poorly, uh, poor decision, poor, poorly thrown, whatever you want to phrase it, who was poor, it ends up uh, it, it intended for Brendan Strange. It ends up in the hands of an Indiana defender, and all of a sudden you're giving that short field to work with. As we discussed, the Nittany Lions turned that into a fourth and 35, and, and they avoided any any issues out of that. But you're thinking, wow, this is exactly what you don't want if you're Sean Clifford, who has to know what the circumstances are and has to know the staff wants to get a look at Drew Aller. But my thought was, what's the team around him thinking? What are those guys on the sideline thinking? What's the def- defense thinking? What's the offense? What are the other offensive players? Like, what's going through their head? And I just wondered, are we going to see this team lag, sag their way through the first half here? They bounced out of it, but an early moment there, and it's been dicey in the first quarters uh, for Sean Clifford, four interceptions in the first quarter now over the last three games, no touchdown throws along that way. Uh, James Franklin said it a couple times in his post-game press conference, they got to take that kind of a play away. But three games left of the eligibility, you're going to get what you get with Mr. Clifford. And you saw that early, and I'm sure a lot of people were groaning collectively across Nittany Lions Nation. It ends up with a 31-point victory. But I know people weren't necessarily thrilled with what they saw from the quarterback position for much of this matchup, though they did get a lot in the ground. You were kind of worried that you were going to see more of the fourth quarter from the Ohio State game uh, kind of carry over into this one. And I think that that's kind of the worry when you have such a demoralizing loss like that, when you're playing in this type of environment, in this type of conditions. And when, when Clifford throws that interception, I mean, it, it's in the back of your it's in the back of your mind like that this could go off off the swivel uh, pretty quickly. But it didn't. And I think a big part of that was the running game. Um, we've said it over and over again, but Katron Allen and Nick Singleton have just added a, a completely different dimension um, to this offense. Like if Penn State is playing this game uh, a year ago, Sean Clifford doesn't have that running game uh, to lean on. He, you know, he has to do all of it, and who knows what happens um, in that in that type of situation. I know that when you saw the weather forecast, when you know what what Penn State is coming off of, when you know how Clifford has played this year, you know, yep, twenty twenty one Illinois nine overtimes started to to creep into people's minds uh, a little bit, but you know, Clifford didn't do that, and. I thought it was a pretty standard Clifford uh, experience. You know, you had the nice throws. Uh, he hit Theo Johnson up the seam. Later, he had Johnson open for what would have been a touchdown, but but Johnson dropped it. I thought the 45-yard catch and run to Catron Allen was a really nice play by Clifford where he's using his legs, but he's still looking to throw the ball. Um, in that situation and he let Catron Allen really do a lot of the work there Um, but then on top of it you have the throw that ends up in the interception Um, he hung Theo Johnson out on a similar throw uh, up the seam where Johnson took a big hit that was late Um, you know it was just kind of like what you said I mean there's three games left in this eligibility plus a bowl game Um, those plays that James Franklin talks about that you know we, we need to get rid of I think at this point you, you have to live with them because uh, this is who that quarterback is. There's a 42 start sample size. Um, but overall, I mean, I thought it was a pretty typical Clifford start. Um, you had some pretty good highs. Um, there are some, some times that, that let thing, left things to be desired. Um, but I think the running game really picked things up because there were never really any lulls um, in, in how this offense played. 
they did a nice job avoiding you know, precarious third down situations in this game. And, and, and in some moments where they did need to, to go downfield on third down, uh, Clifford was able to connect with his guy, Mitchell Tinsley. I know Parker Washington has the bigger numbers uh, over the course of the season, but it feels like on, on a lot of these third down moments, Mitchell Tinsley has been the go-to target all the way back to you know the initial possession of the season at Purdue. Uh, by the way, Parker Washington didn't duplicate his performance from last week. Four catches, 30 yards, um, but it had a big 19-yard uh, punt return. Um, and also Tinsley, five catches, 63 yards. But what he did early in this game, helping Penn State put some points on the board, uh, get, letting them move the ball, gain some confidence, I thought really impressive performance from him early on in the matchup. Theo Johnson, four catches, 43 yards. He scored a touchdown at the end, catching the ball from Drew Allery. Should have had a couple touchdowns. He should have been. Uh, pushing up uh, over 60, 70 yards with that touchdown. But as you said, he dropped the ball. With Sean Clifford, he's down to those three starts now. Something that was interesting coming out of this matchup when, when James Franklin elects to keep him on the sideline is that lead swells up the, the four possessions or whatever it was. Um, Sean Clifford is now fewer than 20 passing yards away from setting the all-time record for in Penn State history. Trace McSorley is the guy who holds on to that record right now. You'd imagine that record will fall in the first quarter in Beaver Stadium against Maryland next Saturday. Um, and James Franklin certainly sets it up for us to ask far less about who's starting this upcoming Saturday back home in Beaver Stadium with that record so so close within reach. And additionally, Franklin really did his best to distance himself, I felt like, from a lot of the open-ended nature of the conversation. And he certainly downplayed the dialogue, at least, uh, about what took place leading up to kickoff and why QB1 remained unchanged. Yeah, his, his quote after the game when, when he was asked about this is he said that that nothing had changed. Everybody still saw it the same way that he did. Um, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't too close to the decision. And when he was pressed on kind of what he meant by that in terms of being too close to the decision, um, he said that he just wanted to make sure everyone uh, – saw it the same way that he did. So, you know, he, he threw it out there that, you know, the, the last time he talked, he got seven straight questions about the quarterback um, and was kind of wondering why that was, even though he kind of left a lot of room for uh, interpretation this, <laughs> this week. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's clear that Sean Clifford will continue to be the starter moving forward. Um, you know, they did get Drew Aller uh, a lot of reps today. You know, he played essentially, you know, a quarter and a half, which is um, a little bit more than, than he's played in a while. Um, but it was it was interesting post game in terms of kind of the, you know, things were left open ended this week. There was never that firm. Sean Clifford is going to be starting. James Franklin was given the opportunity to say that um, he didn't take it. So. You know, we were looking, you know, all warm-ups. Is Sean Clifford taking the snaps from Juice Scruggs? Is he the first one out? Is his helmet on on the sideline? Are we going to see Drew Aller in the second quarter? Um, it was a lot of, you know, things were, were a little touch-and-go, uh, it felt like at, at times. But that was at least externally. It sounds like internally there was none of that, that Clifford was the guy uh, and that, um, you know, what James Franklin was saying publicly maybe didn't necessarily reflect kind of the, the feeling in the building and, and what their game plan was uh, coming into this weekend. Today, Drew Aller sets career highs for completions with nine of them, pass attempts with 12, two touchdowns that matches his performance in week two back against Ohio when he threw for 88 yards. Today, he throws for 75 yards on the season now, 
Uh, Allerette, four touchdown passes, no turnovers. And James Franklin did make it a point, a guy they want to keep working in, getting those reps too. And certainly getting that bond built with some of these other freshmen who are doing big things on the field as you try to work on this this upswell of young talent on the Penn State roster. Uh, again, the, the quarterback conversation will carry into another week. Uh, but, but where it is right now, uh, uh, you have to check every week. Sean Clifford now a little bit more secure, certainly, than we thought he might be uh, 48 hours ago, even 24 hours ago. Um, and he's coming down to the wire here. Two home games left uh, before he wraps things up in a Penn State uniform. Let's get to that ground game and the offensive line. Let's, before we talk about what Catron Allen did today, which was sensational, and Nick Singleton scored as well, the offensive line, if there was a chaotic uh, element to what was happening behind uh, closed doors and team facilities this week, perhaps it wasn't the quarterback conversation. Perhaps it was trying to find the right five, six, seven guys to get through this game on the offensive front. Olu uh, Fashionu did not make this trip. You did not spot him coming off those buses in, uh, in, in Bloomington. Uh, Caden Wallace was out there. Uh, however, it was Bryce Effner again at right tackle. Salim Wormley was available, although James Franklin acknowledged that he's been dealing with some things. He works through some things. He says the same goes for left guard Hunter Norzad. And then, oh, by the way, uh, you continued uh, to be without Lennon Tengwall, who missed his fourth consecutive game in the left guard position. What that left you with was a pretty thin situation. And what we saw on the first Penn State possession, Daniel, was Hunter Norzad heading to the sideline with an issue. And you thought, wow, this is getting dicey in a hurry. Penn State traveled to walk-on freshmen uh, today uh, in uh, Jim Fitzgerald, who's a six-foot-seven offensive tackle, and Ian Harvey, who's an interior um, offensive lineman. And when you looked at the group that was going through warm-ups, and you saw Fitzgerald and Harvey, you know, going through where you would normally see, you know, the the depth scholarship guys. I mean, it is very, very thin. Um, you know, those guys were kind of a, a heartbeat away. Um, in, in certain ways, but I think the, the biggest compliment you can give this offensive line and, and how they performed is that you didn't really notice them that often. Um, I think there was one stunt uh, when, when Clifford got sacked and, and took a pretty big hit um, that jumped out to you as, as a lapse up front. Um, Drew Shelton got called for a whole, for a penalty at one point, uh, And that was the only time you, you heard his name called. Um, I think that, the offensive line really did a good job um, by, by being anonymous today. I think that that was, that was really, really big for them and, and really helped them. I mean, you saw a lot of J.B. Nelson um, who rotated in with Landon Tangwall in that Central Michigan game, um, but hadn't really been seen or heard from since outside of special teams and uh, the end of some blowouts. Uh, obviously, this was our first long look at Drew Shelton. Uh, this was our first long look at even at um, Hunter Norzad at, at right guard. Um, it was, you know, a lot of different pieces, um, a lot of different moving parts. Um, if you think back to what the week one uh, starting lineup was at, at Purdue, um, at one point later in the game, uh, Juice Scruggs is the, is the only one um, who, who was left from that group uh, after when, when Sal Wormley. Um, got a little banged up if I'm if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so it was a lot of moving parts. I thought they acquitted themselves well. I think it helps when you're blocking for running backs like Katron Allen and, and like Nick Singleton. But that offensive line will be really interesting to watch. Um, James Franklin said post game that 
The goal was to redshirt Drew Shelton. And the goal was also to redshirt J.D. Nelson um, this year. But given what the health of Olu Fashionu, uh, Landon Tangwall, Caden uh, Wallace, and now Salim Wormley, um, and then you know you extend that to some of the depth scholarship guys that we haven't we've barely seen at all this year. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out uh, down the stretch. We'll be right back on the Lions twenty four seven podcast. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I want to get another look at, at, at this game. Uh, on the rewatch, but I thought upon first glance, Drew Shelton certainly didn't look like he was stepping into a situation that, that was too big for him. And and that goes back to what James Franklin told us after practice on Friday, where they do feel like if, if they were had needed him at this point, they would have been comfortable burning his red shirt at this, you know, and when we discussed, well, it just so happens that the, the starting left tackle may be the best left tackle in America. But we don't know if that left tackle in Olu Fashionu is going to be able to come back next week or the week after. And you start to think about the money that may be on the table for him, despite only having these nine career starts. And you start to do the math and wonder what, what Olu Fashionu's status is with this team moving forward. And, and if he's healthy, I know he'll play. But we may see Drew Shelton pick up the kind of experience that maybe they wanted to get Olu last year and they couldn't because he was banged up and he wasn't available for them. And he didn't really get that until the bowl preparation and the outback bowl. You could see an accelerated process where Drew Shelton is your left tackle here at least for a duration in November. And then he's pretty well suited to go into next offseason if Olu Fashion who takes advantage of this NFL opportunity uh, to, to, to be in a much better spot than you can imagine a second-year offensive tackle in the Big Ten. So this could have been a key step forward uh, in a big November for Shelton. And I thought working your way inside, there was a moment they gave up their, their only sack of this game where there's some confusion on the interior. J.B. Nelson, uh, Juice Scruggs, you saw a, 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 a rusher get in between those guys on clutch, and you're thinking, oh, no, is this going to turn into a situation where miscommunication? We saw that a lot last year, if you remember, where it just felt like guys were not on the same page. And they were able to, to really, despite moving this way, that way, guys on the sideline, the guy doesn't play much. When you have two running backs average almost five yards per carry, you only give up one sack. And, oh, by the way, it's 13 sacks now surrendered in nine games on the season after giving up 34 sacks in 13 contests last year. I got to tip my cap to Phil Troutwine for what they were able to do under duress this, this week and kind of got to showcase some of their development with some of these players that they've brought into the program more recently. You want to see more of this in November? But you come out of this matchup, and I think it's another check in the positive box of forward progress for a unit that, outside of this young quarterback they have, 
may hold as much to the uh, you know the, the key uh, of potentially going to the college football playoffs someday as any place on this roster. If, if we were sitting, uh, if I was <clears throat> doing the post game pod at Purdue uh, in, in week one and you told me what this uh, offensive line was going to look like in week 10 at Indiana, I would have been like, oh, Penn State's in big trouble. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're fighting to get bowl eligible right now. You know, things haven't gone well, but they've really been able to weather this, you know, weather these injuries um, without any, any real issues. I think that some of that goes to the supporting cast. I mean, Sean Clifford for, for his part, I think that he is good at at least avoiding sacks in the pocket. Um, You know what he does when he's off his spot, sometimes that can leave something to be desired, but for the most part this year, it feels like he's doing a good job, at least navigating things, you know, staying out of really bad trouble uh, and then Drew Aller also did the same thing too, where, where he's able to move well in the pocket. And you couple that with guys like Catron Allen, like Nick Singleton, where Bryce Hefner was talking about it after the game. Like with Catron Allen, when he's behind them, uh, I think he worded it like the offensive line, you have to play like your butt's on fire, where you just fire off the line, get to your man, and that even if you give Catron Allen the slightest hole, He's going to be able to see it and he's going to be able to get through it and he can make something happen. Um, so I think that there's a lot of factors that, you know, outside of the offensive line that go into kind of relieving the pressure on them um, and everything. But when you look at how this offensive line played today, I mean, I think that it's just a very solid group. I think that you can kind of see the work that Phil Troutwine uh, is doing um, offensive line is, is really hard to, to evaluate from, from our perspective, um, it, it, just because of how intricate um, it can be. But, you know, he's pushing a bunch of different buttons and it all worked today. Um, you know, who's to say, you know, how it would have looked if it was Ohio State or Michigan and not this Indiana team. But there are some, you know, a couple good pass rushers. I like Deshaun McCullough uh, as a player a lot. Um, Alfred Bryant looked good uh, in, in getting around the line and getting that that sack on Clifford. Um, but I think that you can look at today as, as a big step forward um, for the offensive line in terms of who played and how they played and, you know, in, and what that means means for these guys, for Phil Troutline, for this offense. Last year, not only was that offensive line not effective, and disappointment, but it wasn't deep either. It wasn't like you could say like, okay, well, you're trying a bunch of different parts. There was like, okay, you're only willing to try six guys, maybe seven guys, and this is still what you're getting. This year, it's improved, and we've seen eight, nine, ten guys at this point when you kind of go off the of the last month of, of guys who have played extended, you know, back-to-back possessions, quarters, halves, full games, and that is a really good thing to see from this group. So, We'll see if it carries forward. I do want to uh, give a, also a quick note that the blocking from Brenton Strange, the tight end room, Theo Johnson as well. But Brenton Strange, the last four games combined, he's under 60 combined receiving yards. Uh, that's pretty startling considering how this season started for him, but he has not stopped being a top-level blocker at this tight end position. So I got to say, I've learned a lot about Brenton Strange over the course of this year, whether or not the ball's in his hand, and he had a highlight reel grab on, on a ball that like went through a defender's <laughs> helmet today. Uh, which was a, another great moment for him as a receiver. 
but it really hasn't been about getting the ball in Brendan Stranger's hand game in, game out, because he just seems like he's a gamer, and, and he's really taken a big step for them at, at tight end this year. I have a lot of respect for, for how his career has gone here in year four. But let's get to those freshman running backs, because it feels like if Penn State's going to really hit it out of the park here in the next few games and, and enter this offseason uh, on a high note, people across the country are going to be talking about this backfield tandem of Nick Singleton, Katron Allen, uh, Katron Allen was the star of the group. He was arguably the MVP of, of this team today. I, I think you can make a very strong case there. 72 yards receiving, 86 yards uh, on the ground today. Uh, he's you know going up uh, uh, 20 touches, turning those into about 160 yards, three touchdowns. Nick Singleton, meanwhile, turned 16 carries into 73 yards on the day. It wasn't a case for Singleton at 30 yards on, on one carry and then did a bunch of the other work with two or three-yard gains. 15 was his long. So 4.6 average for Singleton, 4.8 average for Katron Allen. And on the same day, Daniel, they tie the freshman rushing touchdown record, uh, which belongs to Noah Kane. He had eight of those in 2019, but now he moves aside a little bit, has room for Katron Allen and Nick Singleton. And uh, we'll see where it ends up after the year, but those guys will spend the next four games trying to figure out who lands on the top of that list coming out. Uh, really just really impressive stuff. And I can't say enough about Catron Allen in particular, a guy that I think looks as complete and patient and, you know, willing to let that cutback set up on its own and then exploit it as any true freshman I can recall in recent memory. Jalen Sider talked about Catron uh, uh, Allen's ability to still be powerful, uh, even though he's, he's dropped a lot of weight since he's gotten to, to Penn State. And I think that that was very clear on the one touchdown run where he just runs through that safety. I mean, that safety came up, met him at the line of scrimmage and just fell down. Um, Katron Allen, it's just like the way that he plays, even though he's running over guys, it's, it's still almost graceful uh, in terms of how he's able to hit the cutback, accelerate. Uh, he's just such an easy player, um, which I think that coming in, I think we were maybe thinking more of like the Kevon Lee type uh, where it's, you know, kind of, you know, and even closer to how Nick Singleton runs in terms of that power where the exertion is so obvious um, in terms of inviting contact, but Katron Allen doesn't, doesn't really play like that, but he just came up with a lot of big plays today when the ball was in his hands. Uh, there was that 38 yard touchdown drive um, in for Penn State's second touchdown where Catron Allen took the ball 27 yards uh, and then came back with an 11-yard uh, touchdown run. Um, he just, you know, he seemed very in control. He seemed like he knew where he wanted to go every time he had the ball. And he just remains so assertive. I mean, you, you never see him get stacked up at the line um, or if someone does get to him at the line of scrimmage or behind the line, he's able to make them miss or get off of them or at least push back to the line of scrimmage for one yard, um, two yards, three yards. Uh, that was something that, that Jaylon Sider mentioned uh, with Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, that these are guys that are turning one yards into five yards, six yards into eight yards, four yards into six yards, um, that there's always something extra um, after that first contact. And I think that we've really seen that from Nick Singleton um, over these past couple of games. And you mentioned it, 4.6 yards per carry. Um, I think that we're, we're starting to see that yards per carry number come down a little bit for him, but that's not a product of, you know, him really getting bottled up or 
or him, you know, being worse, uh, for lack of a better term. I think that it's because he is running in between the tackles. <clears throat> he's kind of learned at this point that he is not just going to take the ball every time, get to the edge and go, that you can't yeah. do that in college. Um, I think that this is really an example of his growth uh, and he's willing um, for such an explosive and, and fast runner. I mean, he puts his head down. Um, he gets through that line. He bursts through the hole. I was convinced that he had a, a 70 or an 80 yarder in him today, just with how quickly he was getting to that second level. Uh, Indiana had a couple shoestring tackles, I think, where they were really able um, to get him down. But I think for for the one uh, the one Catron Allen play that that stands out is that 45 yard catch and run that he had. Um, he did a pretty good job setting up his blocks, getting all the way back across the field. But it got to the point where you know there was one guy there that guy was going to get him. Uh, it was pretty pretty clear at that point. And instead of going out of bounds or maybe trying to cut back to the middle one more time, Catron Allen just looks up and just lowers the shoulder right into him. Um, I think that that attitude is something that you want to see from the running backs. It's not necessarily something that we've seen from the Penn State offense at times recently. Um, And I think that these two young players have really changed that dynamic and and really kind of changed the the attitude um, of of how the offense approaches things. Went to Nick Singleton again on a fourth and short situation uh, in opposing territory. This time it worked out. It didn't work out. Uh, last week against Ohio State, and just looking through what Catron Allen has done, he brought some momentum into this matchup, added to it in a big way. Five of the last six games, he's gone for at least 86 yards of offense. In the last two matchups alone, five total touchdowns. He now leads all Nittany Lions with nine touchdowns in nine games, and he was the second running back in this class, let's all recall, um, really coming up to, uh, coming up big in both these guys. Uh, We've, we've heard that, uh, that they're co-starters, according to Jay Wan Sider, back-to-back games now where Catron Allen gets the, the ball first. And back to, and it's actually interesting to see him get a couple series early. It wasn't just Nick Singleton in uh, on the second possession. It was Catron Allen getting a little bit of staying power in that backfield. Before we finish up here, and of course we'll be back with another episode on Monday, Daniel will be back, uh, Mark Brennan will be back in Happy Valley. We'll share our uh, final thoughts on this matchup, start to look ahead to the next one. But, Daniel, this defensive line, we went through some of the numbers heading into the matchup, and very much devoid of sack numbers. Uh, that changed in a big way today. Six total sacks, five of them, I believe, were credited to this defensive front. And the defensive ends in particular, they rose to the occasion. If they can do this, again, it's hard to know what you're going to be able to carry from this game moving forward because Indiana's in a bad spot right now. But they took advantage of a bad team. And they were able to, if they're able to turn this into a snowball effect moving down, this is the way you want to finish the season defensively by getting this pressure off the edge. A lot of these guys are going to be with you next year. It's just been a, a missing link on uh, for a defense that has had some really special moments. It's been a missing link. And I think you got to go back probably the trip down to Auburn the last time they were able to, to mess with a passing pocket like they were today. In coming into today, Nick Tarbert and Chop Robinson, Adisa Isaac had combined for three sacks. They combined for three today. Uh, I think that this was the type of performance that that we were looking for. And I mean, yeah, it comes against an, an Indiana team that's not in a good spot, but sometimes you need that get-right game uh, where there's someone where you can do kind of anything you want to do. You can do what you need to do, and, and you see it against an opposing team, um, and that's something that you can really build on. Uh, after the game, Chop Robinson said that it was, it was pretty exciting 
um, and that they were really feeding off each other and that there's kind of that friendly competition element um, when, when you look at, at this group and in terms of what they want to do. So I think getting those edge rushers uh, and having them be disruptive and we talked about it a lot where it was always, yeah, like Chop Robinson is around the quarterback a lot and Adisa Isaac is around the quarterback a lot and, and they're making things happen. You know, that, that that's different from getting sacks. I mean, a sack mm-hmm. is just such an, an impact play. Uh, it's such a psychic play too that, and they were finally getting those today. And, and I think that was pretty big. Um, also with the sacks, Kaziah Izzard and Devon Olise both got on the board. Um, Olise had the, the hit that knocked out Jack Tuttle. Um, from the game. Those are two guys um, who kind of occupy unsung roles um, in this depth. I know that we, we've talked about Kazai Izzard a lot um, in terms of coming back um, from his absence in September, um, but Devon Lees is someone who has really just been a solid rotational piece for, for Penn State, and I think that it was it was good to see him, you know, get onto the stat sheet and, and make a big, big impact, but I thought the defensive line looked really good today. Um, I mean, Brendan Soresby uh, was just overmatched as a backup quarterback. He got sacked on his first two career plays as a true freshman um, after Tuttle went down. That was just a really, really tough spot for a young player. Um, And I don't necessarily think he was really in the right position to succeed. But Penn State was able to figure that out quickly because they brought him back to the sideline real fast. (laughs) Yeah, that that debut did did not last long. but I mean, not really anything lasted long for, for Indiana with the offense today. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it was good to see from the defense. I think that especially how things ended last week, you wanted to see some suffocation. You wanted to see some playmaking um, with those interceptions. And we got that today. I mean, it was just a, a very good, they did what they were supposed to do against a bad team that doesn't have a quarterback that is essentially trying to get off the field as much as possible. Indiana fired their offensive line coach this season. So just, you know, that's kind of where they're at right now uh, with their process. And, and and with this defensive group, Denai Dennis Sutton was the guy who came in as the only defensive lineman with multiple sacks on the season through eight games. He didn't add to that party today, but he came up with an interception, shut off that athleticism on the return. And I think you looked at, at number 33 rolling his way down the field. And James Franklin said, I bet does not look like a freshman. I'm really excited to see where it goes here from Deny Dennis Sutton. And, and that, you know, that's at the stage. We talked about the running backs. Um, you, you had a, a guy who we haven't seen much of, Harrison Wallace, a redshirt freshman, reached the end zone on, on a catch from Drew Aller. Um, Khalil Dinkins got involved here as a redshirt freshman. Don DeLuca has been a great walk-on story, applied the pressure on that play that Deny Dennis Sutton ended up getting the interception on. Later, he recovers a fumble on a punt return uh, by Parker Washington, so a little bit of an unsung hero for him. I mentioned a bunch of names. One we haven't gotten to, and we got to do it before we finish the podcast, is Jake Finneger. He hasn't missed a kick in Big Ten play, and today a career-long 50 yards to help build some of that early cushion in the first half. It was great to see from Finneger. Uh, James Franklin went out of his way during his opening statement uh, to highlight the job that, that Finneger did. He hit the 50-yarder. Uh, he made all six of his extra point attempts, and he kicked all – I think seven of his kickoffs uh, for touchbacks. I mean, that's what Against you want to see. And they had a lot of respect for the return game on kickoff of Indiana. That was an area they mm-hmm. were worried about. Definitely. James Franklin made, made sure to, to point that out. Um, but it was good to see that from Pinnaker, especially on a day where the conditions were very dicey. 
Uh, James Franklin did say that the the wind was, you know, it did affect things, that it was blowing pretty hard down on the field. Um, when, when you watch all the all the kickers, it was almost like it was blowing strong in both directions. Um, and James Evans had that 69-yard punt. Uh, Pinnegar was putting it beyond the end zone. Um, you know, he was hitting the end line um, with a bunch of his kickoffs. Stout like, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was no doubt, but... Um, you know, we talked about it where, you know, special teams, that's where you, that's where you steal points. That's where other teams steal points. Um, you know, Barney Amore in early in the season was such a weapon for this defense. And now you're getting consistency from that kickoff spot. Um, and I think that it's something that is probably a little underrated. Um, but when the job isn't being done, like it was earlier this year, it's noticeable. So I think for Jake Pinnegar to really kind of settle in as that field goal kicker, career long of 50 yards, there was really no doubt about it. Um, and then, you know, to have that success on kickoffs, um, I think that's really good for Penn State as it moves forward. It felt like shaky territory, and, and we still got to see Jake Pinnegar make some, some kicks in close games down the stretch here, I'd imagine. But to this point, he missed a couple, uh, a couple uh, field goals, an extra point, all in non-conference action, has not missed any field goals, has not missed any extra points against conference opponents. So uh, not much more you can ask of from your place here when he's called out there, that he's putting it through the uprights, and that's all he has done against these Big Ten teams. Daniel, like I said, we're back on Monday. I hope you get home safe from Bloomington. Appreciate your coverage. Uh, catch it all at lines247.com. Mark Brennan, of course, will have his grades, his takeaways. We have stories about what we saw, what we've heard coming out of this matchup, and uh, we'll have our snap counts and a bunch more Coming out of this contest, which is a 45-14 victory, Penn State has some momentum. Maryland suddenly does not. They lost a, a clunker of a performance. They're 6-3 coming to town. We thought maybe that was a ranked opponent on Penn State's radar. That's not the case. So Penn State, certainly the presumptive favorite uh, for the next three games to get to those 10 wins. Maybe a big-time bowl matchup, a strong start down that path right now. Daniel, enjoyed your coverage from Bloomington. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Tyler. All right. Thanks to all of our listeners. I'm Tyler Donahue. This has been the latest post-game edition of the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for The Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen.